Thursday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And fresh off a loss last night for the Toronto Raptors in Boston. The first road loss of the season for Toronto. But they've got a chance to get right back at it tonight as they will be in Philadelphia to face the 76ers. We'll talk about that game over the course of the next hour as well. We'll look back to last night uh, in addition to all of that chat. Plus a lot more to come as it was an extremely, extremely busy night in the NBA last night with 13 games, if I do the math, one carry the two. That's 26 of the 30 teams in action last night, Jonesy. But for the Raptors specifically, we can get into some of the other games and some of the other performances that we saw last evening. For Toronto, it was just kind of flat from the jump. I mean, it was it was close-ish, I guess, early, even into early second quarter. We noted a couple of times on our broadcast last night, Fred Van Vliet had an opportunity with a, with a layup about three, four feet from the hoop, missed it. That would have tied the game at 33. Boston goes on, I believe, a 15-4 to run from that point on, opens up the game ends up going up by as many as 18 and just sort of rode that out with the Raptors never getting closer than eight in the second half. Yeah, it was a tough one. Um, uh, I don't know if it was one of those nights, but the Raptors didn't start out with, I thought, the requisite energy. Um, knowing that they'd lost a couple in a row, knowing that Boston was probably a little bit upset as they handed them one of their worst losses in or maybe their worst loss, top three in yep. Celtics franchise history. Like this is a proud franchise, and and that's one of your, you know, worst defeats when it, it on opening night against a team that well nobody quite frankly was looking for a lot. It's not like they got beat by the Lakers or somebody like that. So Boston was coming for them, and I just I didn't think they. I didn't think they consistently, they did at times, but I didn't think they consistently matched the energy. And that was shown on the glass. Rebounding is a measure of effort. And Boston beat them on the offensive glass. And here's a team that is known for its offensive rebounding prowess and just general rebounding this year. And they got, they got beat. And, you know, I, I never forget the words of, of Charles Oakley. Offensive rebounding is like is like that stray dog out in the street. If the guy gets a taste early, he'll be coming back all the time. Oak used to say that. I hit the guy early in the game. First play, boom. And I look at what he does. If he backs away, I eat free tonight. If he doesn't, then I'm gonna ha- I might have to pay for this food. I'm going to have to pay for it. And it was the same deal. It was exactly that. Boston came with the offensive aggressiveness on the glass early. And a guy like Robert Williams, like I said, man, like that stray dog, that stray cat, you feed him and they just keep coming back. And he was all over the offensive glass. Now you look at the numbers, it was 12, I think 12 for 21 points. I don't have them right in front of me. We talked about it at the end. But nine of those came in the first quarter and a half. So the die had been cast already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're bang on. You're bang on, Jonesy. And, and, and Toronto just didn't have that, that, that sort of – and we've talked about it now a couple of times, uh, even just in the first couple of minutes here, let alone on our broadcast last night, just the, the energy needed to, to, to sort of, as you talk about, punch back and, and deliver that, that, that pushback early on and to, to not get bullied around. They just didn't seem to have it early, and I don't know why because this is not I, – I think you said it last night on the air. This is not what we've become accustomed to from the Raptors, and not just this season, but – kind of their mantra the last number of years this is a team and 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 I think we've said it both of us I know I have uh even in talking about this year's squad 
I feel like this is the type of team, the way they play, the type of guys they have, the coach they have, what he stands for and what he instills in guys, I've said this is a team that is going to be a tough out on nearly every single night, and they're not going to be walked over very often. Well, maybe that was one of those games that flies in the face of, of my analysis of what I thought of this team because last night I just it didn't look like what I expect from and what I've come to expect from a Raptors team, a Nick Nurse team. But it's it's it could be Eric, and I don't know if it was totally, but it could have been one of those. Remember, you know, ten ten sixty two. Yeah, it, I was just about could, to say it. Ten ten sixty two. Yep. Ten and for the for the people that have not been with uh, what do how do I put this politely have not are not as old that have not been with one of the longest or maybe the longest standing duo in Raptors broadcast history. Ten ten sixty two. It ain't a maybe, That's, Jonesy. It's it ain't it ain't a maybe. It is it's legit. It's legit. Yeah, yeah. And and that used to be our. Uh, remember in the days when you had to make long distance call by yeah ten ten two twenty, ten ten two twenty by ten ten sixty two and and that wasn't our long. We used to have to say that's not our long distance code, but yeah, there are ten yeah. nights when you're gonna when you're gonna throw it in a thimble, you're gonna drop kick it in a thimble from center court, and then there are ten nights when you couldn't throw it in the ocean, sitting on a boat in the middle of the in the middle of the Atlantic. And I don't know if that was one of those 10 nights. I don't, I don't think it was because I, I saw the energy. I saw glimpses of it. I, I saw, you know, I, I saw some fight. Uh, I didn't see it early. Uh, it might have been too late to get it back as the game progressed. And I, what, what I saw was turnovers, um, a lack of energy on the boards consistently, and, and just some, um, some skittish shot selection at key times but that, that, that does i mean i don't know if it's one of those 10 nights but all of those things are correctable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um well they better correct them for tonight uh as they've got the back-to-back the second night of the back-to-back against philadelphia uh the sixers will be coming in licking their wounds a little bit in terms of their their banged up bodies and guys unfortunately dealing with health and safety protocols and everything else so uh a number of key players out of the lineup for the 76ers but that said the raptors unable to take advantage yesterday uh with jalen brown out of the lineup so that's why they play the games folks and the raptors with their first road loss of the season now sitting at six and six uh, in the Eastern Conference, and oh, by the way, look down at the Eastern Conference. The Bulls continue to roll, and there's this other team that's kind of streaking right now. They've won three in a row, and technically speaking, with tie breaks and whatnot and everything else, and I know we're only 11 games in, the Washington Wizards are the number one seed in the East right now with an 8-3 and three record. They've won three in a row, and they started to make some noise last year, Jonesy, uh, in the second half of the season when it looked like it was down and out early and the Russell Westbrook experiment wasn't working and they were buried early in the season. They caught fire. Uh, they, they got hot in the, in the second uh, half of the season, as I said. But then they trade Westbrook in the offseason. I think it was a great deal for the Wizards in terms of the haul that they got back from the Lakers. And here they are. Again, we're not even at the quarter pole. We're, we're barely halfway to the quarter pole. But early on, it's certainly looking like those two franchises and their respective management teams, Washington and Chicago, have done a fantastic job of overhauling their teams and their rosters in six to 12 months, if not less. Yeah, and, uh, you know, let's give some credit to Wes Unsell Jr., who has toiled as an, as an assistant for a long time, and he is a pretty good defensive coach. Um, you know, he was part of successes, uh, the success of the Denver Nuggets for a long time alongside Michael Malone. 
give the guy some credit. Uh, nice to see him get an opportunity and nice to see him at least, you know, an eighth of a way in an eighth of the way, 12, 15% into the season to, to, to show that his, you know, his teams know what they're doing. And that's pretty good considering you got a new coach with new players uh, in a new system. I mean, it's not like Montrez Harrell and Bradley Beal and KCP and all these guys have played together. So you're, 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 you're developing chemistry. You've got a new system. You've got a new coach and it's come together pretty well for them. And I, I give Wes, Wes Unsell Jr. A lot of credit, you know, at this rate, he's my coach of the month for October slash November. Yeah, I mean, how could you go wrong with that? The 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 way that the team's performing right now, no doubt about it, Jonesy. Uh, the uh, Houston Rockets falling to one and ten as they lose to the Detroit Pistons last night. The Pistons will be in Toronto on Saturday night to face the Raptors. Toronto's only home game in their next nine, including last night's game and the loss to. Uh, the uh, the Boston Celtics. So uh, we've got lots to chat about over the course of the next hour. Billy King's going to join us in a couple of minutes' time. And then uh, later on this hour as well, we'll talk to Tom McGinnis, the radio voice of the Philadelphia 76ers, getting set for tonight's tilt against Philly. You can hear that right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. So again, back-to-back days where you get a double dip of Smith & Jones right now until noon, and then later on tonight with the broadcast of the game as well. Um, one of the things that we're going to clearly dig into with, with Billy King, if not Tom as well, uh, Jonesy, how do you think everything unfolds with Ben Simmons? Because, I, listen, I, here, here's the tough thing, and, and I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm articulating this properly to make sure that people understand where I'm coming from. And, to, I, you know, my, my intention is to obviously not upset or offend anybody. I have no idea, nor do you, nor is anybody listening, what Ben Simmons is actually going through at this point. And, and it's, it would be completely unfair and wrong and disingenuous for me or anybody else to question whether he is truly suffering from any sort of uh, mental health, mental anxiety, stress, whatever it may be that is causing him to be sidelined. But clearly there seems to be some questions, at least from the organization standpoint from Philadelphia, when you start trying to get doctors involved and doctor's notes and assessments and assessment, excuse me, and analysis and whether it's justified that he's being fined and, and, and being held at, you know, salary held back from game to game. And is this, you know, a, a, a moral and ethical thing to be doing, let alone a legal thing to be doing. And is he honoring his contract or is he justified in what he's doing? It's a real mess right now. And gone are the days of a guy just saying, nope, I don't want to be here. I'm holding out. Now it's, it's nope, I don't want to be here. I'm holding out. Or perhaps, and, it, and again, it's, it, it's, I have no reason to believe it's not completely on the up and up, that no, I've got, I've, I've got to you know, walk away from the game for a bit. I've got to step away from the game. But it, it's, it's going to be um, eye-raising, eyebrow-raising, if all the dust settles in a week, a month, three months, whenever it is, a trade is consummated and he's sent from Philly and he's suddenly back on the floor immediately. That, I think, is going to raise a few eyebrows because the situation then would clearly look um, mountains, mountains of, of, of distance far, far, far different than what perhaps, let's say, on the hockey side of things, uh, the organization and more so the individual is facing when you think about what's going on with Carey Price and his absence from his team for reasons that are clearly, clearly important uh, to him, to his family. And I don't know if there's parallels to be drawn there or not, but it, it, it certainly seems like for Ben Simmons, um, this this uh, reason, this factor kind of appeared out of nowhere after he had already made his intentions known that he didn't want to be in Philly. 
Well, and that's just it, Eric. And and uh, I'm I'm one of these people, and I always have been. Uh, look, if a person says they can't go, they can't go. Yep, exactly. Uh, especially in the world, especially in the world of pro sports, where your people are don't like to fail. Uh, they're motivated to be successful. You know, when a guy or you know a woman says they're injured and they can't go, they can't go. And and if it's a physical injury and they can't go, they can't go. If it's uh, a mental issue, uh, let's work with people and try to work through it because if you can get your head right and your body's okay, maybe you can perform. And, and I think the one, the one thing with uh, a comparison, and, and, and you know, it's one of the things that ruins life. They say you should never compare, but I'm going to go ahead and do it now. Ben Simmons' mental issues uh, did not come to the forefront right away. That doesn't mean he doesn't have them. Maybe he was trying to be, quote, tough, unquote, strong, quote, unquote, and sure. keep them in, and they didn't come out right away. But people will say, and again, I'm not passing judgment. I'm looking at, you know, the kind of the court of public opinion. People will say, well, the mental issues came out after he didn't get it what he want, wanted with the trade, and he started losing money and all. Okay, that may be fine, but you don't know that they weren't there before. Or, and, or, and the carry- or that might have been what caused the, the, the mental issues. I mean, right. Right, wrong, or otherwise, the fact that right. I'm in a city that I don't want to be in, I'm away from friends and family, the fan base is turning on me, uh, it seems like the coach maybe doesn't have my back, perhaps I don't get along with certain teammates, uh, the situation doesn't seem good for me, I'm, I'm down on myself for the fact that I can't seem to make a jump shot and I'm getting hammered by the media and by the fans and everybody else, and, and you know what, it's finally just become too much. Maybe that's what right. triggered everything. Right. I, I, and, then, and then the Carey Price situation is, is, is totally different. Um, right. you know, and, and there's a guy that by the sounds of it has been quote strong unquote for years. And it finally, you know, it, it seems like maybe it's finally broken him down. I don't know. I don't, I haven't been following that one as closely with all the attention that we give to, um, you know, the NBA and, and, and our side of things. But, um, I, I, I just think this, you're asking me a long winded answer to your question. How do you think it's going to end? He's done in Philadelphia. He's, he's done. It's become, oh, I don't know, maybe a fashionable word right now. It's become toxic. It, it has become difficult there, and I don't see how he goes back. Even when people like Doc Rivers, who understand how good he is, uh, was, you know, is willing to extend an olive branch and welcome him back. And, you know, and I, I, let me just take a shot at another thing, too. People are going to say, oh, well, Doc shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have been that honest in the news conference at the end of the year when they, he was asked if you could win as Ben as your point guard, and he said, I don't know. It was, a, it was a time right after the game, and he was being honest, and now we're killing the guy for being honest? He doesn't know. And, and the other side of that is, and, and I'll say this, and you know, maybe we can ask Billy King, who's, who's of that vintage as well, when he comes on with us. Doc played for people like Greg Popovich, Pat Riley, uh, Mike Fratello, where coaches motivated you. They cussed you, and they motivated you that way. And they did it when they told you, they told on you in the media. I don't know if Doc was doing that, but if you're a player and you get a little jab, it's happened to me at a different level. You know, the highest level in in this country before, you know, the NBA came along. So, Jonesy, you going to guard that guy? He's got – he's got – He's got 27 in the middle of the second half here. Are you going to stop him sometime today or not? 
and and there's and there it is right in front of the team. So you're you're, you're challenged a little bit, and and there's nothing wrong with that. So I don't know that that's what Doc was doing, but a lot of people seem to be going overboard. And again, I'm going to ask Billy King about this, about you know what Doc said. I think it was honest, and it was you know maybe Ben Simmons should have taken it as a challenge, but. If there's mental health issues going on there and that challenge is overbearing or overwhelming for him, then it's not going to be received well. So there's there's so many layers to this, Eric, but the bottom line is I don't see how Ben Simmons goes back to Philadelphia on no. any kind of amicable terms. Well, And, and, and the longer this drags on, I, I've got to wonder about what the package is or will be because to their credit, as they should, the guy's – one of the top defenders in the league. He's a multi-time all-star. The package, the return for a player of his ilk should be significant. But are the Sixers, is Daryl Morey going to get what he was hoping for a week ago, let alone a month ago, let alone three months ago, the longer this thing drags on? I got to assume he's not. We got a guy who can answer the questions, E. <laughs> That's true. Let's let's bring him in right now. now joining us, Smith and Jones, uh, former NBA executive with the Sixers and Nets, longtime NBA executive and co-host of the Whip Morning Show in Philly. Billy King. Billy, thanks for the time as always. Uh, good morning, WIP <laughs> is the radio yeah, station. Well, yeah, well, I call I call it the Whip, but I I appreciate there's no H in there, so we'll call it the WIP Morning Show. I apologize, Billy. Yeah, yes. no. That's all right. That's all right. I just just finished uh, from six to ten this morning, so I'm fresh off the air. <laughs> Billy, you're in you're in the eye of the storm, brother. You're you're right in the middle of the hurricane. Um, um, uh, and 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 look, let's let's qualify this. You have dealt with star players your entire life as a GM, and and you know in Brooklyn went with the Pierce and Garnett and all of those things. Uh, Break some stuff down for me here. You and I are kind of of the same vintage here where coaches sometimes motivated their players through the media. Not always the best thing to do, but it happened. Was Doc trying to do that at the end of the season or was he just being brutally honest when asked about having Ben on his team as as the point guard on a championship team when he said, I don't know. I, I think people are running far too far with this as the starting point for all of the breakdown here? Well, I think they're running far with it because uh, Ben ran far with it. I think at the, after the game, uh, when coaches talk, you know, there's a lot of emotion, especially when the season ends. And the question was asked, you know, can Ben be a starting point guard for a championship team? And Doc just said, I don't know. And I think if you'd ask Doc another question, you know, can this team constructed be a championship team? He probably would have said, I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, that's that's where he was coming from. I don't think he was sort of saying, no, Ben can't. I think he was just saying, I don't know what this time. I got to go back and evaluate it. And so I think Ben's camp, you know, coaches, like you said, Larry Brown would have said a lot more things uh, through the media. And, and I think Doc was just being honest there. And if it hurt Ben's feelings, then – it should be motivation to come back and, and prove Doc wrong. Hey, Billy, let, let me ask you something on that same topic. 
going back to whether it be as a player, as a coach, as an executive, whatever it may be, a lot of these guys go through media training. Some of them have, some of them haven't. You've been there. You've had the microphone shoved in your face, whether it's one or whether it's 50, and the scrum is, is, is seven people deep, and you've got questions coming at you from seven different directions. What's that internal voice saying to you, or how are you filtering yourself in the moment, much like live radio perhaps, but still, how are you filtering yourself in terms of, what you're going to say to a reporter, how honest you're going to be, what information you're going to give or hold back, and, and, and to be able to do that in a split-second ad-libbing, improving in live, real time. What is that like when you're facing the, the onslaught of the cameras and microphones? Well, what I always try to do anytime, even to this day, I try to anticipate what the questions might be, you know, what the topic's going to be. For example, if I'm coming on you guys, I try to think, okay, is there something going on with the Raptors or is there something going on in the NBA that may come up? And I, so I can formulate my mind what I might try to answer, not to pre-program myself, but to sort of be prepared what the question might be. And what I always do with my coaches a lot of times when I was a GM is I would try to go in and talk to them post-game before they have a chance to talk to the media and just hear their frustration. And I feel that they're going to venting about a certain area that I think they shouldn't, I would try to steer them away from that and say, you may not want to go there. Try to, and try to give them some answers to help them to prepare for that. Billy, what do you think happens with the Ben thing as it plays out? He's, he, is, he is a good player. He is a, a good def- – like the, the worst flaw in his game is the one that's most easily fixed in, in that he doesn't shoot it well. And, I mean, that, that happens with a lot of guys that come into the league. It's just been a lag in terms of Ben working on it and getting it to a point where it's, it's, it's productive and efficient. So it's not like he's, you know, he's not a good trade chip. How do you see this playing out in the end, Billy? Is there any way that he can be back in Philly? I don't, I don't think he can be back in Philly. He may get back on the court, but I think ultimately he will be traded. I just, I think there's been too much uh, damage done uh, with Ben in the city of Philadelphia and with his teammates. Um, so I don't, I don't see it being a long-term fit here. I think what Daryl is trying to do, Daryl Moore is trying to do, is is just trying to wait for the right deal. Every season, there are players that, as a GM, you sit there and go, okay, that guy's probably going to be traded, that guy's going to be traded. And every team going into the season thinks they've got a good team. Once they realize they don't, they figure out who's available, and they try to make a deal. And I think you'll see a deal come about probably in about another month, uh, probably before the first of the year where they'll move Ben. You know, Billy, on that topic, we were discussing that as we were bringing you on the air. How difficult is that process right now, though, for Daryl Morey the longer this goes on? I mean, am I wrong to assume that the package would be less now than it was a month or two ago? Or do you think that a team will eventually still pay the price that Morey wants? I don't know if they'll get to his price, but they'll they'll get to a point where Daryl will have a price, uh, a more realistic price. I think he had a an idea of what he wanted out there before. Uh, and I don't think people are going to meet that. And so now I, I think he's got to and, – and the one thing I think he'll know, he'll know what this team needs more. The more right, they right. play, now he has an idea. So now he may have a better idea if I can get these two pieces in a pick or if I can get this, this will help the team. And I think that's what probably has been playing out now is evaluating the team, where are the weaknesses, how can I make it stronger, evaluating the league – what do I need to be better than these teams? Uh, then you go make a deal. 
Billy, it's it's early, um, but based on history and what you've seen early, um, I'm giving you Daryl Morey's chair for a minute. Uh, what do you what do you think <laughs> is is well? It's a chair that you've had, so you maybe you lent it to him for a bit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, what do you think? What do you think from past and looking at the present constitution incarnation of the team? What do you think they m- need or? might rear its head as a need going forward? Well, if you look at, at the way the NBA's played, everybody focuses on a lot three-point shooting, a lot of teams shooting threes. But the very good teams have guys that are playmakers that can create their own shot. And if you look at the Sixers, you know, Maxie does that. But they don't have a lot of guys that create shots. Danny Green needs someone to get him shots. Seth needs someone to get him shots. Um, Joel can score inside, you know, big guys. But they don't have a lot of playmakers. So to me, the more playmakers they can get for this team, the better. And you can always use shooting. But I think the first priority is playmaking ability. Speaking with Billy King, longtime NBA executive and uh, co-host of the WIP Morning Show in Philadelphia. Hey, Billy, um, let's flip it over to the Toronto Raptors and just kind of looking at tonight's game, but more so the the, the season in general for Toronto thus far. Uh, Twelve games in, sitting at six and six, a team that's kind of in a, a transition, a couple of years removed now from the uh, championship, and and obviously a new era without Kyle Lowry and 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 moving forward with Siakam and Ananobi and Van Vliet carrying the reins. But at least here in Toronto. Billy, and, and it seems like it's starting to gain a little more traction league-wide as well. A lot of chatter about the rookie, Scotty Barnes, and, and going back to the draft when many thought that the Raptors might lean towards Jalen Suggs and they go with Barnes, and it's hard to argue with the way that Scotty Barnes has started this season. Well, no, I, I think he's, he's played well, and a lot of credit has to go to Masai and his staff and Bobby Webster. You know, they do a good job of finding guys that a lot of people will pass on or – um, and they do a great job. Nick Nurse and his staff do a great job of developing their guys. Um, I think you've got a team that is still young, uh, and you're transitioning from Kyle Lowry, who was a great player there for them for a long time. And I see this team continue to grow. They have the you know the patience and the and the ability to add pieces going forward. Um, this team that you see now will be a lot better by the end of the year, just because they'll play more together, and Nick will figure out. Uh, the rotations and the right guys on the right side. And Siakam now, he's back in the lineup, but now he'll have got his game legs on him. So this team will get good. And I think, you know, Masai is not going to mortgage the future, but if the right piece is out there, he may try to get. And the one thing is guys get bought out, so you can add another guy. But I like where the Raptors are sitting. Um, They they know they're going to get better because they've got some good young talent. Um, If you look at reverse on the Sixers, They've got some older guys, and they've got some young guys. So they're in more of a win mode now. Um, but but uh, if I'm the Raptors fans, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm excited for the future. Billy, you've been involved in numerous drafts, and there was an outcry here. You know, we talked about how well Scotty played. There was an outcry here from, you know how it is, all the fans, they watch a tournament for three weeks, and they see a guy playing well, and they – you know, they, they, they suddenly get their GM qualifications and think that Team X should draft player Y. Um, I don't know if that was the case in Toronto because it was more than just the fans, but people really were on the Raptors. They thought, you know, somebody else should have been picked. What, what do you see? What do you look for, uh, your scouts, you guys, when you're looking at a player and 
I say it every year, somebody breaks the draft, you know, somebody the you know, the mock draft people have this guy here, this guy here, and they get to number eight or they get to number nine and somebody picks a guy that everybody thought was going to be 14. And that, and all of a sudden the draft is broken and all hell breaks loose. What do you look for as a scout, a GM? What, what things do you take into consideration before you, you make a pick and people are going to, you know, people are going to second guess it. Not that you worry about that, but what are you looking at? Well, you, you're looking for an NBA skill set. You know, does the guy shoot the ball at the NBA level? Does the guy penetrate it defensively? You're looking for an NBA skill set, and the more they have, then the higher you put them on your board. Um, and that's what I always tell our guys. Don't look at what a guy can't do. Let's focus on what he can do. You know, there are a lot of guys, uh, I always use Kyle Corver, people that he's too slow, can't do it, but uh, we felt that he had an NBA skill set. He could shoot the basketball. So I think that's where you start with the skill set. And then you got to do your background. Does the guy have a work ethic? Because if he has work ethic and he has upside and he has an NBA skill set, then he's going to get better. I think we may, might have lost Eric. Billy, when you, when, you look at, um, when you look at the draft too, and I, I, again, I'm thinking about you know, Scotty Barnes landing in Toronto. How much do you consider... You know, we've got a number of young guys. Like, I look at the whole situation here in Toronto, and, you know, obviously everybody wanted Jalen Suggs. He's gone to Orlando. But Orlando has a lot of young mouths to feed, too, when you think about uh, Cole Anthony, Mo Bamba, all all those guys that are still developing. Um, How much do you think about that? Uh, does, Does trading a pick become a potential possibility when you already have, quote, enough, unquote, young guys? I don't. I don't think you worry about that. I think you take the best. I always look at you take the best talent. I don't. I, I. I hate to pass up a talent, even if I got a great point guard. If there's the next best player on the board is a point guard, I will take him because of the fact he has trade value, being an asset. Um, and so being being young, especially if you're in the mode where Toronto is, you take the young guys because you can develop them into an asset. And the way the game is being played now. Before you had to, I got to find a center. I got to find a power forward who's physical, like the uh, Charles Oakley days of the tournament. Nowadays, you try to get put the five best basketball players on the court, whether they're two small guards or, and you just play. And um, so it's not so much that you got to build a team traditional way. You want to get the best basketball players and put them on the floor. And so if it's a young guy, you take them and you keep developing them. And and if one day that guy beats out the next guy or during that season, you move him. Uh, but I think you can't pass on talent. Hey, Billy, we appreciate the time on the show today. Thanks for joining us as always, and uh, we'll be talking again soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Billy. All right, sounds good. Take care, guys. You're welcome. There is Billy King, former NBA executive with the Sixers and Nets, co-host of the WIP Morning Show in Philadelphia as we get set for the Sixers and Raptors tonight. In fact, we'll stay on that theme uh, when we continue on the show. We'll be joined by the play-by-play voice, the radio play-by-play voice of the Sixers, Tom McGinnis. It's Smith & Jones. Remember, if you like the show, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you rate and review. Back in a moment. Back on Smith & Jones, and again, it's a double dip of Smith & Jones today. We've got the show right now until noon, and then later on tonight, we're back at 7 o'clock Eastern for the tip-off of the Raptors 
and Sixers Toronto on the second night of the back-to-back -back in Philly. And it will be another road game for the Raptors as eight of their next nine, including last night, will be on the road. And joining us on the line right now, the radio voice of the Philadelphia 76ers, Tom McGinnis. Tom, thanks for the time today. No problem, Eric. Good morning. Great to be with you. Thank you for hey, having hey. me. Yeah, thanks as always, Tom. We appreciate your time. And, and I'm trying to figure out, I mean, when I get off the air, and I'm sure it's the same for Jonesy as well, start taking a few notes and trying to get things ready for tonight's broadcast. Who in the holy hell is going to be playing for Philadelphia tonight? Because to their credit, they continue <laughs> to play well. They continue to look pretty good this season. But, man, oh, man, that is a long list of bodies that are sidelined for the Sixers. Right. Well, that I don't have the answer to. And I'm pretty sure right now Doc Rivers might not even know and he's our coach. So, yeah, it's, it's been wild uh, you know, it just goes to show in kind of a larger sense about the, with the virus and it's not over, right? And especially when somebody you know gets it and, and you see it up close. And and so, look, our star player has it, right, which a well and beat. And, you know, the way that Doc Rivers described it the other night and not just with Joel but with Tobias Harris last week, and that is, you know, a lot of guys early on, like namely last year or whatever, would be in the health and safety protocols and they'd be chomping at the bit a little bit like, hey, I'm not, I don't feel anything. What's going on? Come on. Not those guys. They both were going through some things with it, right? So, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And then Santa's out and you got the Simmons deal. And that's what's been amazing. Now, look, this is a tough game tonight. The Sixers have lost two in a row in New York and Milwaukee, uh, top flight competition Monday and Tuesday. And, oh, they go on the road. You start with the Raptors on the road. Sixers start in Indiana. And then next week, go out west and play, you know, the Warriors, Sacramento, Denver, Utah, and Portland. That'll be very difficult. But so far, it's been amazing to have the number one net rating offensively uh, for a team that's been missing some parts. It's just been spectacular. Uh, Tom, we just had uh, um, Billy King on, and we were asking right. Billy, and, and, and I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw it to you, too, because you're around the team every day. Um, emerging and going forward it sure looks like ben is going to be moved uh what do you think would benefit this team uh you you know you've seen them for years what do you think would benefit this team going forward if they were to make any kind of deal or when they make any kind of deal for ben i'm i'm, I'm asking you to kind of you know look at some of the weaknesses and see where see where things might go right so one thing that Daryl Morey has done since the minute he got here, and that is he's added shooting. And that gets back to what I was just talking about with the offense. When you consider they traded, um, they got Seth Curry for Josh Richardson and a second-round pick, that's been a tremendous pickup for the Sixers, right? And then just the other players, like this year, they, they got George Niang, dude, at 21 points. He's been a tremendous addition in terms of, the spacing and the shooting. So you can never have enough of that, right? It's like baseball with starting pitching, right, Jones? You can never have enough, you know, flamethrowers or whatever. Right. You can mow somebody down on, uh, with the pitching. So that, but just in general, I can't say this, because you can also, like, Seibel's been terrific for the Sixers in the way of defense. You can never have enough wing defenders, right? And and the way that the guys attack from the – Maxie's out there guarding Trey Young one night, and then Kemba and this guy. And he's had some tremendous assignments, and he's done terrific. Uh, dribble penetration, I think, has hurt the Sixers a little bit over recent years. Um, but just my point about in general, you have Simmons, who's an all-star player, 
and he's not in the lineup. So if there is, in fact, a deal down the road, just to have players, right? You're missing, you're, you're missing either a star player who is one of those great defenders we spoke of, or you're missing whatever, if there is a deal down the road, other very good players that are contributing. So, you know, that, that's that been a whole different subject, and that's maybe part of uh, getting back to Eric's question about the Sixers. They are so connected. That part, I'm sure it's been a distraction. I think it would be a little naive to say it hasn't been. But for the core group, these guys that have been together since the end of September, their chemistry is phenomenal. And I think that's paying dividends and will pay dividends because, you know, those team dinners and that bonding, I think sometimes the fans are like, well, it's okay. But what it does is it provides you equity. And that is like if Tobias Harris is going to come to you and say, whoa, we were switching that, What's and get in your face a little bit, well, you know, we had that dinner we had in New Orleans where we're all buddies, and I know when you grew up, that matters. Believe it or not, that matters. So mm-hmm. that part has been part of why the Sixers are good as to what's down the road involving, you know, the whole Simmons saga, I'm not exactly sure. I just know they're missing a great player. And if there is anything that is consummated and, and down the road, you, know, you would hope to get back to get contributing players. And, you know, this is a window. And Daryl Morris talked about the, you know, the Embiid prime and, and the way that Joel is still one of the top players in the NBA. And I don't know that 19-year-old prospects down the road is going to really be advantageous for that specific part of it. Hey, Tom, this might be like a, a long, long stretch for me, but I'm just listening to you and I'm trying to draw parallels even to what the, the Raptors have done either in, during their championship run, but even right now, keeping a core together that has OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet who have been together from the jump and from Raptors 905 in the G League and now coming up together and winning a championship together. And now they're the, 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 the young vets on a team and trying to carry them through. And I wonder how much of stuff like that chemistry, cohesion, uh, you know, understanding of roles, understanding of personalities, all the stuff that you touched on weighs into or weighed into even whether the Sixers were or weren't in on Kyle Lowry, not wanting to give up too much for one guy coming back. Then you got to start plugging other holes. Now you've given up guys that, that knew each other, let alone young pieces, let alone now you start thinking about Ben Simmons. One guy comes out, how many are getting back just to have those bodies that are interchangeable, hopefully in your lineup that, that eventually will get to know one another. That chemistry standpoint of pro sports is something that perhaps we – we overlook at times just thinking, oh, it's all about talent, talent, talent. They got to click and they got to be, uh, you know, right. you know, in sync out there on the floor, let alone off the floor as well. No, absolutely. And like Doc Rivers was asked that question the other night prior to the game. And he said, Look at Miami; it didn't click right away for the Heat, and they had one of the greatest, you know, trios ever assembled. And with your own, you know, right. Chris Bosh and all that, but eventually it did, right? And you have to know your roles, and that's like he, Doc Rivers refers to players like 99% and 1%. And 1% are the LeBrons, you know, are the unbelievable superstar players. But the rest of the players have to understand they're not the 1%. And this, is, this kind of speaks in this general sense to what you're talking about with the chemistry and being a star in your role. Doug Collins used to talk about that all the time and doing what you do best, right? We've always heard for, you know, the duration of the 75 years of the NBA to where you have to have a definable skill in the NBA. Oh, he's a rebounder, Drummond. He's a rebounder. Oh, that kid can shoot threes. Or And oh, by the way, if you're pretty good in other categories, that bodes well, too. So to know that role and then come in and provide that role, and don't get outside your lane. Your time will come. 
you're the ninth guy, guess what? You're playing tonight. You're starting. You know what I mean? Like, that happens all the time. Like, just in referencing Kyle, when you got to have sort of that alpha male, he would have got it wherever he's getting into Miami. He's with another strong leader in Jimmy Butler. He led your team for so long. You have it now in Fred. Come on. This guy, you know, that's exactly what you're looking for. Those Because the coach can say so much, but eventually it's got to be the players that lead. They're the ones out there, the voice of the coach, with the timeouts, the chalk talks, the, the meetings. You know, at a certain stage, that gets – it's a little much, and even the coaches – We'll tell you that. So, no, it's a big part of it. And But talent, in the end, talent trumps everything, right? Speed wins, yeah. shooting wins, but the connectivity, the chemistry, because in the end, defense wins. And if you're not all together, if I can't trust that you got my back and you're going to hedge and come over here and cut somebody off and be ready on a weak side, like, you're not winning. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't show up. But when Maxie digs down and slows down Bobby Portis for a split second, allows Drummond to get back, we call it, you know, he tagged them and get back in the middle. That's a little winning play that our defensive guru, Dan Burke, looks up and goes, that's exactly what we're looking for. That comes through, you know, everybody helping Maxie. He's a young player. He's a lot of people in his ear, but he's going out there and getting it done. So there's certainly a lot. That's what makes our sport great, right? There's like the baseball, the inside baseball. Well, Hoops has got that too. There's a lot going on out there. And as broadcasters that call the games, that's what makes it so rich for us in terms of the stimuli and all the variables, the elements that make up an NBA game. Tom, again, you know, I, I defer to you being close to the team. Uh, it's what the second year for Doc uh, with the, with this group. Um, give me give me a report card on him. People, I, I, you know what I? It bothers me because people seem to. Um, He's at the point now where, as a, as a championship coach, people only see the warts. They don't see the good things that that a guy does. They don't see, you know, Steve Kerr. Like it, when there's a mistake, oh, Kerr got he got out coached or he didn't make this adjustment or whatever. But you know, the the ten that he made before to put them in a position to win, nobody saw those because they're done automatically. Uh, if, give me a, a quick evaluation of Doc, and do you think some people are being unfair with him? I mean, the team is team's eight and four and he's i mean he might he might look down the bench and put tom mcginnis in tonight <laughs> oh my god he's got a bad back a bad hip this guy can't move he had to go back to the booth <laughs> 1979 he peaked as a little league pitcher i'll tell you that kid uh no but doc has been great you know like uh first of all he just won his 1000th game there's only been 10 coaches in the history of the nba that have done that so let's start with that and then you know, you go back to his first years in Orlando, they had like Chucky Atkins and Jack Vaughn. They went 41 and 41 and got into the playoffs. So that, to me, I tell you, George, and you've been around so much too, but like, and I've known Doc like on and off since those years, even in college, you know, after Isaiah in our town in Chicago, where we grew up, uh, and I grew up in Illinois, but and then it was Doc Rivers. And we had Terry Cummings and Mark Aguirre and whatnot, but Doc Rivers, like, after those guys went pro, was the guy. And I remember even in college going to Milwaukee and watching him play at Marquette. And, and then I was at his first training camp uh, down in South Carolina when, when they were with the Hawks and whatnot and just watched his career for 13 years. And I think the critique is, hey, man, this dude's lost a lot of 3-1 series leads. We lost the game, the series last year against Atlanta. Turns out the Hawks were pretty good, right? 
And it gets back to a little yeah. bit what I was saying about the, you know, the defense and stop and dribble penetration with Trey Young. And so what surprised me a little bit is like, and this is going to sound funny, but how coachy he is <laughs> because he's a great guy. He's very deep. He's obviously like when we have the bubble and stuff, he's, He's an emotional leader that was on led the nightly news in America when he was talking about some of the social injustices that were going on, you know. And so that part has been fascinating. And but when I say coachy, like I go in his office and he's got the plays all over his desk, and he's as worried as the next guy about coming up with the play. And you'll listen to a sixth grade coach if it's a guy who's got an idea of how to yeah. run something differently. So I, I mean, I I get the critique, but. I couldn't believe there's been like three times in my Sixers time, which real quickly tonight is our 100 Sixers Raptors game, right? Going back 27 years. I was at the first one. The ball club goes out East. We're in Halifax. We're in St. John, New Brunswick and those preseason games. So I've missed one hey. of the regular season tilts, but every single game, which, you know, including the playoffs twice and preseason numbers, well over a hundred. I've been there. So it's been a great robbery where the Sixers, have been on the short side, particularly when you consider that they won the most recent playoff series that led you guys to a championship. But Doc Rivers has been a sensational coach. Look what he's doing now with the roster that's been juggling in terms of the first two or three weeks of the season. And uh, it was Larry Brown, Doug Collins. When I saw Doug Collins in our gym, I'm like, whoa, he's our coach. Larry Brown, same thing. And now Doc Rivers. Because there was, it sounded like the Sixers were on the cusp of potentially hiring Teron Liu. And then Doc Rivers became available. Uh, during that September period of over 15 months ago. So I think he's been great, and I think still the potential for the Sixers is still out there. Tom, uh, Eric, I just want to jump in here. Tom, I remember that game against uh, out, out east in Halifax. It was Allen Iverson's first game, and and I remember getting stuck, and we had to talk over the national anthem, and everybody looking at me like I had six heads because the, you know, we're all radio guys here. The timing was off, and I had to talk over the anthem, and I thought Ooh. I felt like I was about an inch tall, having to, right. and, and we, we made sure that didn't happen now. again. Might want to let the anthem, you know, we the truth. Yeah. Let's let it go. But no, wait. Iverson, I was a rookie. I was a rookie. Yeah, no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't AI's first year because it was my first year. And that's like I said every year. He would have been the next year. We had Stackhouse. We had Vernon. Oh, that's there. right. It was the, Jerry. Yeah. yeah. The crowd there was so reverent. They were so polite. And your crowd is urbane and dressed in suits. And they get after it up there at <laughs> Scotiabank Arena. But out there, it was like church. They didn't, it was so polite. And honest to Pete, like I talked to, uh, Eddie Pinkney was on our team, and when I was on your team, and I think Sally he got traded to you guys. He got hey Tom, he got traded to you guys in the middle of this trade deadline in the first year, right? And those guys looked at one another like, "Whoa, this crowd won't even say it." It was so cool. But I remember we had played in Detroit, and we flew out there, right? So it's late; it's like three or four in the morning. And we had Vernon Max. This was the one bus era. Now we got three buses and a huge plane and all things <laughs> yeah. change. Uh, but anyway, so we're all on the bus. And the bus driver was so uh, kind of giddy a little bit, excited. The NBA, NBA team on his bus. And he was talking. Everybody's like lights out, totally crashed. John Lucas was our coach in front seat. And Vernon Max was in the back. And the guy was a little portly, too. It's like kind of a caricature of a bus driver. And he's like, hey, we grow potatoes. And I tell you, it's real nice out here. We live right in the water. You should see the Citadel. It's all. It's right over there. And Vernon Max was like, shut the bleep up. 
And I'm like, oh, I want to apologize to the bus. He has to We're a little tired. We've played at Pistons. No, so it was so funny. But, no, look, I loved it out there. Then, Bay of Sunday, how about the Tide? Are you kidding me? A 26-foot Tide. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> hey, Tom, we pre- appreciate the walk down memory lane on that one as well. Uh, we, we've got to fly here, but listen, enjoy the broadcast tonight. Enjoy the game, and uh, whoever wins, let's just hope it's a good one. All right, guys, thank you so much. Be well. Great, great Thanks, stuff, Tom. Tom. Thanks. There is Tom McInnes, the radio play-by-play voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. And, uh, you know, Jonesy, it makes me think of, of the, the, the folks out east that got a chance to take that game in, but the folks a little further east that got to, unfortunately, miss out on the LeBron James debut. LeBron James' first game ever as a pro would have been in St. John's, Newfoundland, if not for a wet floor. And, unfortunately, the Raptors have never made their way back since. Well, hopefully it's on the list, and hopefully they'll be able to get back there. Be it, uh, you know, to Tom's point, basketball crowds out east are are terrific. They love their basketball. Yeah. Uh, Halifax, uh, just to, to the East Coast in general. Halifax is a is a is is you know, in my eyes, one of the top cities. But uh, you know, I remember being a university athlete and going out there to play at places like Saint Avex and 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 Acadia and Saint Mary's you know, at Dal, and it was rocking, man. Those, those the, the East Coast loves its basketball. Well, and the uh, the East Coast hopefully will continue to, to grow and flourish with its basketball in, in, in years to come. I know our man Carl English doing a lot of great things out East. We've got a CEBL team announced in the last four weeks in, in Montreal, Jonesy, and I'm sure once the world truly gets back to normal, uh, I got to imagine the Raptors will be back to sort of hopscotching and bouncing around Canada like they've done for so many years, whether it be training camp out west or or preseason games, uh, you know, in in Alberta and 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 in Manitoba and in Quebec as well and whatnot. So I'm sure that the Raptors sort of caravan will be back uh, when the world is normal again. We're going to continue with the second hour of Smith and Jones in a couple of moments. Remember, if you like the show, make sure you rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. But of course, today being uh, Remembrance Day, November 11th, uh, we pay tribute to the veterans uh, and, and to all of uh, the, uh, the people in the armed services, both past and present. You're listening to Smith and Jones.